Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, fellow humans. Mark Labusky here for the co-shared Simply Practically Human podcast bonus edition for the week with uh, Craig Harps Harper. Again, we... Wax lyrical on a whole lot of different things. Enjoying having these. We've got one to go. We talk a bit today about the breakup that's going to come after next week and um, who, whether it's me or whether it's him that's breaking up and um, you know, perhaps one of us or both of us are going to need a bit of therapy after that. We cover all sorts of stuff today. Dogs, renovations, rightness, experiments, doing the work, growth just reinforcing some of the messages over the last couple of weeks. Um, Harps's brag this week, which he, I hope with a little bit of gentle nudging from me over the last couple of weeks, that he's started to realise that it's okay to put your hand up every now and again and and share with the world some of your greatness. So it was really good to uh, see him do that yesterday. We also talk a little bit today about why when we think we're right, that the other person has to be wrong. And, and why is it that we don't spend a bit more time going, okay, that's what you think and that's your rightness and I have this rightness and that's okay that um, we have different beliefs. And we actually will talk a little bit about that today and where we sit on the one end of the scale from each other on a particular topic, which I think is quite an emotive and um, a topic that's got a lot to do with people's beliefs and their values. Have a listen again, take some notes. Um, we had a bit of fun today. We'll catch you at the end. Craig Harper, Harps, thanks for joining me again, mate. Hey, mate. I'm excited. What number is this? Is this number five for us or something? This, this is five. It's sort of like we, we're coming to the end, mate. No, oh. I'm, oh, look, I, I'm going to have to, we're going to break up and it's not you, mate. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be in therapy, dude. Well, I nearly was last week. Well, actually, I was in therapy last week. I was in therapy on this podcast last week when uh, when you when you were very helpful and, and helped me out. I just got to put a little disclaimer in here. If people hear dogs barking in the background, that's because there are four dogs here that are hungry and looking for some food. Before we get into the, you know, the head stuff and changing people's lives stuff, what kind of dogs do you have? Four Miniature dash hounds, so little sausage dogs. Frank, oh, wow. Frankie, Doug, and Billy, and also a golden retriever by the name of Archie. So imagine living in Brunswick West. Wow. We've got nearly 800 square metres, though, which is terrific, but there's a bit of work to do because the little ones are a whole lot of work. They're little dogs that think they're big dogs, you know, like those little people that think they're big people. They're like yeah. that. Don't dash hounds have back problems or something? They can. So basically, if you came to our house, you would see there's there's a ramp that we put down so they can go up the ramp onto the couch or the bed because they like they were bred to hunt. Right. And they love chasing and they love jumping, but they're not supposed to jump because they're long and yeah. low to the ground. But Doug, who's the middle one, he he's a he's a big <laughs> jumper. Oh Doug, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Do you just 
Yeah, g'day, I'm Doug the dog. What? <laughs> what? No. Who would call you that? Well, this dickhead here in the beanie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look, we used to be, um, when we lived out, out of Melbourne a bit, we used to be um, bigger dogs. Like We had two acres out there and we had the, the border collies and then my daughter bought Frank, the first one, and then they said, oh, we should get a second one. And then I was in New York about two years ago doing some work and they sent me a photo of a dog and said, you always wanted a girl dog, Dad, so we've got this one for you now. So we've got... Uh, trifecta of sausages and this bloody golden retriever that my daughter bought who actually thinks he's a little dog as well so he'll come and sit on your lap in in your favorite chair that's hilarious not a fun mate i had a golden as long as you don't have black carpet you're okay <laughs> they they we, we, the amount of fur that archie leaves on the floorboards every yeah. week you're like you, you can't shed that much bloody fur mate but i used to look at mine and go how are you not bald because there's kilograms of hair everywhere you go. What, how, it's like they just grow it each night. And, mate, the absolute winners of COVID are dogs. <laughs> and I think true. the absolute losers of COVID are cats. Cats only really like you when, when you're feeding them. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want you around too much. They're like, fuck off, get out of the house. It's my domain. Go and do whatever you do when you're not here. I don't care, but don't be here. Because our dogs, Alison's heading out shortly to do some, um, looking at some townhouses for Sam, my 27-year-old. He's about to invest himself into some property around here. And um, and then I've got to go to the gym with the boys again. And our dogs, what happens when we walk out the door about 10 seconds later, it's a howling fest. Yeah, of course. And it goes for about two or three minutes. And we've had a couple of knocks on the door from neighbours in the area like, you know, can you stop your dogs from howling? And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, they, and, and this guy said, oh, you could go and, get a, go and get one of those dog trainers to come and it's like, <laughs> mate, not going to happen, not going to happen. So that's the, uh, that's the world according to Brunswick West. Mate, we're in the middle of um, living in a house and renovating about 80% of it at the moment as well. So we've been shifted to the, the front 20% of the house, which is a sort of a challenge in some ways, halves, but at the same time, it's really nice to be amongst it and watching the progress of what's going on. I, I don't think living in one-fifth of a house with four dogs would be an issue at all. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> hey, it's funny. I was sitting in one-fifth of the house on Thursday and my phone rang and the, the name of the guy that came up was Jason Arnold. And I'm like, what the hell are you ringing me for, Jace? Because he's an Aussie guy living in Edmonton in in Canada. And yeah. um, the first thing he said is, I've been listening to you and Harps. And I'm like, cool. And he goes, sounds like two blokes at the pub having a beer together. And I said, well, one bloke would be having a beer. Yeah. The other bloke wouldn't be having a beer. He, he, when he went to the pub, he just got punched in the face. That was his job. Um, but he said, mate, that 20 years ago, he was working with, um, and he still does, working with a company called Swimland. Yeah. And he said, Harps came along. And he did a talk for us mm. and straight away I'm like, this guy knows his shit. So he actually he went and had a fitness assessment with you. He was telling me about it. And he then said he was very grateful for this. He, he said you palmed him off on to Michael or to Mick. Oh, yeah. And uh, he said he's become a, like 20 years back, he said he's become a lifelong friend with Mick. So he wanted to say hello to you and he also wanted to say thank you for what you did for him 20 years ago. Well, mate, Jason, is it? I, yeah. I remember that name. Well, Jason, 
G'day, buddy. Nice to kind of reconnect, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I left a positive impression because that isn't always the case. Yeah, mate. I, I think, try to. Well, you know, just quickly on that. Yesterday, I was absolutely thrilled to see your post on Instagram. A little bit of a brag because yes. we had a chat a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, mate, when do you stop and? Give yourself a rap, and uh, mate, I, I got to say, I'm, I've seen a little bit of it, but that was a ripper. So, what were you posting up yesterday? What was that all about? Well, I actually wrote this as a brag because I, I do get told by a lot of people, stop putting yourself down, stop being self-deprecating. You're doing some okay things, and I flicked into the stats for my show, and it just fortuitously, coincidentally, I don't know because I don't go and check this number very often would have been a couple of weeks, and it was just sitting on, just clicked over three and a half million listens. Well done. And um, I went, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of humans. That's a lot of ears. That's, that's seven million ears. That's a lot of tuning in and, and we must be doing something all right. So I put it up and I went, I thought it's a bit of a, a milestone and I thought I'll share it. And then I'm thinking, what do I write? Because this is just a flat-out brag, isn't it? Like, yep. how do I how do I put this up and not go, fuck, yeah, look at us? So I just went, um, I think I said this is straight up bragging or something like you that. You did. Yeah, and, no, uh, good on you. But, yeah, it was good. And it's, look, here's the thing. I think I, I personally find it difficult to acknowledge things. I mean, I'm very grateful when things go well. I acknowledge it to myself, but I'm very reticent and hesitant to say anything too gushy about myself publicly because mainly because my experience personally and my observation has been that it doesn't go over well you know so you don't want to beat yourself up but especially in Australia you definitely don't want to ever look like the person who's beating their chest because yep. it's a recipe for disaster. So I'd, I'd rather be, I'd rather just do stuff well and if other people think it's good, then that's great, but I don't want to point it out to them. But, yes, indeed, yesterday I broke my own rule. I stood on the soapbox and, you know, went giddy up buttercup, look at what we've done because I was quite proud because I remember when we had fucking four listeners a day. <laughs> so it's been a climb. Surely, Craig Harper, you said you broke a rule. You're not a rule breaker, are you, mate? Uh, I don't think I'm a rule. I think I'm just unconventional. I don't think, not better or worse, but I don't think like most people think. Like a lot of people love predictability and familiarity and consistency. I like the opposite. I like to be in the middle of uncertainty. <laughs> like, not with everything and not all the time, but I like not knowing what's going to happen next yeah. year. I like that. I, you know, I don't have a wage. I don't have a sick pay. I don't have holiday pay. I haven't had a job in inverted commas for 31 years. And, you know, like with everybody that's had to adapt in the pandemic, there's been lots of fucking sidestepping and ducking and weaving and problem solving and creativity and adapting and improvising and overcoming as the US Marines do, you know, and just trying to figure shit out on the go. But I tend to be at my best in that. I tend to be at my worst when I'm in a version of Groundhog Day and I know what's happening every day. But that's me and that's why I definitely wouldn't 
suggest that as a formula or recipe or prescription for a lot of people. And that's part of the joy of all of this stuff that we talk about is whether or not we're talking about what's your best diet, what's your best training program, what's your best job, what's your best lifestyle, what's your best operating system for relationships or marriage, is there's no formula. There's your formula, but there's no generic formula that's going to work for everyone. And so not only does it vary person to person, but what will work for you optimally with any area of your existence will change over time because there was a there was a time when me being on the gym floor and counting reps and handing people dumbbells and setting bike seats and treadmills and talking about progressive overload and micros and macros and telling people, well done, Sally, well done, John, you know, all that stuff, that was awesome and fun. And But things for me have a use-by date. Yeah. And it got to the point where, well, it's okay, but it's not optional. <laughs> But, uh, but it's not awesome, I should say. And then it's like, well, this is starting to become a grind. And then eventually I got to the point with doing countless hours of personal training per week where I went, nah, I'm done. And it's not yep. that it's bad. It's not that personal training or owning gyms or being an exercise scientist or prescribing programs is bad. It's just that, you know, sometimes you get to the point where you go, I've done enough of this. I want to do new stuff. I want to learn. I want new challenges. And uh, I can't seem to get them in the middle of this. So, so what's next? I like that. The ability for humans to to embrace not knowing, I think, is a really great place for them to experience the opportunity for growth. And you know, just even yesterday, having a chat to some senior leadership people, and we were talking about the idea and the concept of diagnosis and, and you know, three parts to diagnosis. This, again, is the adaptive leadership framework, which is about, so, so we want to diagnose something. We were talking yesterday about a particular thing and it's about letting go, letting go of being in control of everything. And what we tend to do as human beings, perhaps, is we go to the very last part of diagnosis, which is intervention. We know what to do because we've done it before, we know, we know, we know, let's go there. And there are two parts before that, which are observation. So mm. let's sit and observe yeah. what's going on. What do we observe when we see that we aren't letting go or we are letting go? And then the second one is interpretation. So how do we interpret what's going on? And yesterday when I said to them, why don't you let go? And one of their interpretations was because we are worried that if we're not there and things go wrong, Mm. we'll be in trouble. Yeah. And then I'm like, what else? What's another interpretation of what's going on there? And and they got a bit flaky on me there. They were trying to go with a bit of corporate type stuff. And I said, let's go to the other end of that continuum. And I'm going to suggest this. I wonder if I'm interpreting it as this. What if you're not there and everything goes okay and goes right? And they're like, fuck, didn't ever really think of that. But where they want to go to, mate, is straight into intervention. And, and let's let's kick off here today with this not knowing piece. And yeah. I'm interested in your thoughts around how can people step more into the not knowing piece and sitting with that. And I'm going to say not being totally comfortable with it, but maybe comfortably uncomfortable. What's some tips you'd give to people about stepping into that? As someone, as you said, who sits pretty 
comfortably with ambiguity? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of my myriad of whiteboard lessons that I've posted over the last million years is something in the along the lines of if you're not un- okay with uncertainty, you won't be okay with life, right? Because life is uncertainty, relationships, health, you know, career, <laughs> everything. You know, like there are very, very few absolutes and guarantees over the long term. And so I think it's it's about recognition, acknowledgement, awareness that, look, things are fluid, things are not static. I know you like static, I know you like predictable, but life is not static or predictable or certain, and it doesn't matter if you like that or don't like that. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't like the sky being blue, it's fucking blue. Yep. So you better get your head around the blueness. And so too, it doesn't mean you've got to love uncertainty or love change, but it just means learning to be okay with it. And that's literally just a shift in thinking. It's not like you need to go and develop new skills. It's about going, well, that is what it is. I can't change COVID. I can't change, oh, it's winter now and it's really cold. I can't change the fact that it's going to be 60 kilometre an hour winds today in Hampton or whatever it is. Whatever that external factor that's beyond my control is, what matters in the middle of all of these variables that are out of our control and influence is how we control and influence us in the middle of that. And it's not about necessarily running towards danger, but it's just about saying, look, recognising that, yes, stuff is going to happen, good stuff and bad stuff, predicted, unpredicted, certain, uncertain, familiar, unfamiliar. That's one thing, and it doesn't matter if I like it or not, it's here, so get your head around that harps. But also, when I do deal with that stuff, what happens is, as we've spoken about ad nauseum, in the middle of that, dealing with that hard, that unfamiliar, that uncomfortable, sometimes in the middle of that suffering, it's a version of suffering, momentary suffering, we grow. We grow. And there's no one listening to this that doesn't want growth. There's no one listening to this that doesn't want more resilience, uh, more cognitive, emotional or behavioural flexibility. You know, I just participated in a big study for Monash Uni, which is going to be published in an academic journal soon. And um, 50 experts from around the world who work in various areas from high performance in sport to the military to uh, the creative arts to, you know, government. And the focus of the study, I was one of the experts in inverted commas, I use that term loosely, one of the 50. So the whole focus was on how we perform under pressure. And you and I spoke briefly yesterday and I didn't go here on purpose, but it's really how do we use what we've got, be that knowledge, awareness, skill, talent, how do we use that when the shit hits the fan? Yeah. It's great if you can kick a goal 15 out of 15 times at training But as soon as you've got someone standing on the mark and people screaming at you and lots of noise and a crowd, now your average goes from 15 out of 15 down to four. And that's not because you've got less skill. That's not because you can't kick. That's not because you haven't done this before. That's because there's something happening, you know, in terms of the situation, cognitively, uh, emotionally, 
now your central nervous system has been affected and now your confidence is down and now your skill is down and now your performance is down. So the same person, male or female, with the same body and the same skill, now their performance is dropped because of an external variable. Yeah. And so that's when we put ourselves in challenging situations in an intelligent way, we actually set ourselves up for success, not failure. Yeah. So much gold in there. I'm also thinking about time here because like when there's a bit of ambiguity and not knowing, we need to then invest time. Again, yesterday, I run these sessions with this group and we have half an hour break between, we had a 9 till 10.30 and then we had a 11 till 12.30 and I said to them, um, I'm going to be like the teacher today and I'm going to keep you people in. So that, that gap we're supposed to usually have for half an hour, I'm not going to let you go and do whatever you were going to do. And they're like, no, no, you can't do that. I've arranged two meetings in half an hour and I've got to do this for someone and I've, I've, I've got to answer this question and we've got this disaster, COVID disaster task force that I'm on. And I'm like, fucking hell. Like, you can't not be involved yeah. for half an hour. But it was spinning them out. And, and straight away I thought about there's something here about time as well. There's this like, if you weren't there for half an hour and you didn't know what was going on, is your organisation still going to exist? Mm. And they're like, reluctantly, perhaps, yes, it will. Yeah. So what if you didn't know what was going on for half an hour? Well, that sort of really cruels people. And and it's sort of taken me to a maybe drawing a long bow here, but What's coming to mind for me is what I call the curse of knowing, or let's call it the curse of rightness. Yeah. Is like, fuck, I just need to know and I need I need other people to know that I know <laughs> and I need other people to know that I know that I'm right. And there's some crazy thing that I see, and I'm, I'm, I'm afflicted by this too, mate, by the way, is this curse of rightness. So let's play around with this. Why is it so important to be right for human beings? Yeah, well, it isn't, but we think it is. So we think it's important to be right. That's our story because we get some of our identity and confidence and, in our mind, power from how right we are. And it's, it's a really arrogant and <laughs> ridiculous mindset there's a difference between I think I'm right, but also there's a question mark there. I'm also aware I might not be. I think I am. There's a difference between that and I know I'm right. I know I'm right about this. And by saying I know I'm right, I'm also saying simultaneously that everyone in the world who doesn't agree with me is wrong. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, really? Really? Like that's, yeah, wow, wow. And when we see this emphatic kind of unwavering knowing with lots of things about stuff that we really can't know, but because we have an emotional attachment to being right, because that's where we get our, our power from and that's where we get our confidence and sometimes even our identity from, the idea of not being right terrifies us. So imagine, like me, you grew up in a religious house and in that religious house you were taught and trained and told that there's a God, there's heaven, there's hell, there's Jesus, there's Mary, Catholic house, of course, 
And if you die with uh, a mortal sin on your soul, you're going to hell. Right now, this is, forget religion, just, just think about thinking. Think about the cognitive program that I grew up in. Yeah. I'm not trashing religion. I'm talking about the way that we are taught and trained and told and programmed consciously or not by our environment, situation, family, school, and so on. And then you wake up one day, now you're a 15-year-old and you've been programmed for 15 years and, you know, a school friend dies in an accident or something and now based on your beliefs, you now believe that your friend is burning in the fires of hell yep. because he didn't believe what you'd fucking hell. And it's not like you just kind of think that. No, you absolutely know that to be true. You know that to be true because that's the only truth you have ever known in your 15 years and now you're lying in bed thinking about the reality of, in inverted commas, underlined asterisk, the reality of your mate burning in hell for eternity, which is one of the consequences of dying in sin. Fuck, that's exhausting. Now, I grew up in that. Yeah. And then, by the way, of course, all of this is not provable, all of it, but you're not allowed to say that because it fucks people off, (laughs) right? Now, we live in this paradigm where Mark thinks A and I think B. Oh, so therefore Mark's a fuckwit. I don't like Mark. We can't be friends. We can't get on. How dare you not agree with me, da-da-da. And not only am I, you can't be my friend, I'm also going to insult you. I'm going to denigrate you. I'm going to try and make you look like shit so I look better. Oh, my God. We are such fucking, such a stupid species sometimes. This is what we do. Like I've been studying and learning my whole life and I know next to fucking nothing. And I'm, I'm like, on, and this is not me being falsely humble. The more I learn, the more I realize what I thought I knew was wrong. So um, let's just play around with other ends of the scale here. Because we, if you think about what you've just talked about, religion and beliefs and that, I, I came from the other end of the scale, like atheism. And it's, but I'm sitting here going, I'm not like, yeah, Harps is a fuckwit because he he absolutely got caught up in the in the Jesus and Mary train. I'm not. It's not. I'm not going on like that. But for me, like I think about it for myself. Like we're not Catholic, but my kids went through Catholic education at uh, in Kilmore, and we used to go to events up there, and they'd sort of do the Jesus thing at the start, and you know all of the. And I'd be sitting there, and I wouldn't do any of it. And um, <laughs> at times, Alison would give me the old one in the ribs and go, you've got to do all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't. Because I think if I do that, I'm actually stepping away from not what I think is right, but what I believe. And so I'm actually not going to, I'm not getting in the game. I'm not getting in the game so that if someone looks at me and I'm not doing it, they're like, fucking hell, what's wrong with you, mate? You're in this worship temple here and you should be. In fact, every time I go into a church, I'm wondering if, Fucking some lightning bolt's not going to come down and just strike me and, and and go, we're catching you right now. And you are going to that other place, by the way, Labusque, because you don't believe. But I'm not sitting here going, you're an idiot, Craig Harper, because of what you believe in or what you grew up with. The other thing is, you know, we talked two weeks ago about, I'm saying to you, mate, you need to bloody brag a bit more. You need to stop and, and sit in the, the success of what you've done and share that. But I didn't say to you, you're wrong for not doing that. I just said, maybe you should consider doing a bit more of that. And 
I think that's a really good place to be in. But the world at the moment, mate, you're either, you've got your own beliefs, but I think people are trying to get into a camp with others who believe the same stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's on for young and old. It's like, you know, whether it's stuff about COVID, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, protests, whether it's about same-sex marriage or whatever it might be, there's such polarity now, mate, this polarisation of the world. And I think that starts with rightness. What, what, mm. what are you thinking? What, what, why has the world gone so frigging mad? Well, we love belonging to groups because yep. we like being part of a tribe and people, like I said, you know, I, I, I progressed in inverted commas, underline, question mark, wink, from being a Catholic to then because I was always a seeker and searcher, right, and I still am, then I opened the door, I told you, I think, in another podcast on fundamental Christianity. Well, that was a whole journey in itself, right? Yep. But you know what, what's interesting? I was just, as you were talking about being an atheist there, so there are kind of regarding religion, but, again, I'm not really talking about religion as much as I am thinking. Like I am such a fan of metacognition, which is thinking about how we think, like getting people to, I know what you currently think, but I want you to think about that. <laughs> I want you to try and step back from that belief or ideology or philosophy, even though you think it's 100% real or true and I'm not saying I want you to discount it, I want you to consider whether or not that thought or idea is the totality of what might be. Now, when we look at religion, we've kind of got three clear groups, and I think there should be a fourth group. So the three clear groups are I'm religious, I believe in something. Then the second group is, that's number one. The number two is agnostic which is kind of, I, I do, I believe in something, but I'm not sure, I'm a bit open. Ah, fuck, I don't really know. I thought, I don't know, I think there's something bigger than me, but I couldn't tell you what it is, that kind of stuff. The third group is the atheists, right? Well, I reckon there should be a fourth group, and I'm in that group, which is I don't have a fucking clue. I don't know. I don't know. Fuck, how would I know? How would I know what happens when we... I tell you what I do know. I know that this table that I've got my computer on is real because I can see it, touch it, feel it, right? I, I know that the temperature and weather is real and gravity is real because I can see it in action. I know that, right, I'm not being a smartass, but do I hope that there's something bigger than me in a spiritual realm and do I... Would it be cool if there's a loving entity or wisdom or source of all whatever that create yeah that would be fucking awesome do i know do i unequivocally know that that is real no i don't does that make me uncomfortable saying that a little bit because of my background right but is that true well for me it's true right and the, you know this is one of the kind of interesting things around this too is the very idea of faith in relation to religion the idea of faith is believing in something that you can't prove. That's yep. literally what it is. Because if you could prove unequivocally that something exists, well, now you don't need faith because you have evidence. Well, that also pisses people off too. When people go, oh, I know there's a God. I absolutely know there's a God. I go, yeah, I used to know too. And then the Christians would say that I'm a backslider. Christians would say that I've lost my way. 
what they will do, some, and I love Christians, by the way, some of my best friends are, but what they'll do is they'll rationalise my my shift in thinking with some kind of evil kind of significance. Oh, yeah, that's because he's being tricked by the devil or literally this would be what some, and I go, no, I'm still the same person. I still love people. I still want to help people. I still care. I'm compassionate. But what I'm doing is I'm not just believing what you tell me to believe. I'm thinking for myself. And you'll find in a lot of models or a lot of paradigms, be it religious or political or sporting or cultural, or that in that group, you are very much discouraged from thinking for yourself. Yeah. You are very much encouraged to conform. This is what we believe. So that is what you believe. And if you don't believe what you believe, then you are not part of this group. Well, that's the group I don't want to belong to. I want to belong. <laughs> if I'm not in a group, I'm cool. You know, and by the way, I've got friends that are Buddhists, that are Christians, that are fundamental, born again, rafter swinging, tambourine banging. Thank you, Jesus. Christians, I've got atheists, agnostics, I've got Muslim friends, gay, straight, you know, short, tall, happy, sad. Doesn't matter to me. I love humans. Yeah. Like, I, and I know that's cliche. I don't give a fuck what you believe or not believe. Do I think you are at your core a good person and do we have a connection? Okay, we're friends now. Yep. There's such a conflict for humans to sit with I don't know or I don't, I'm in the I don't know group because we we want to belong to something and I think belonging to the I don't know group is terrifying for people because. And, and authentic. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, you know, let's just think about the scariness of those three words. I don't know. All right, let's challenge that. Why is that scary? Um, great question. So, Why the fuck is that scary? Why is that not exciting? See, let's reframe it. Not scary. Awesome. I don't know. That's fucking awesome that you don't know. Great. Do, do people get cancer from not knowing? No. Do they die? No. Do they get poor from? No. You just don't know. Cool. Me either. Give us a hug. The end. What they do, though, Harp, so you've talked an absolute sense, so let me go to the irrational human now, that um, when I don't know, I then start to dig back into what I call, and you've heard it before, the bad news filing cabinet. Yeah. And I go in there and it's, it's, there's 80% of our 60,000 thoughts a day are, are negative, and there's a shit ton of paper in that bad news filing cabinet. So we, we just go in there and we open it up and it's like, shit, where, which one do I pick? Oh, I didn't know when I was at school. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. I, I remember being in a meeting and I didn't know the answer and everyone thought I was stupid because I was the manager and I was supposed to know. And we just don't give ourselves the luxury or the growth opportunity of sitting with just going, you know what? It's a bit like this today, mate. I don't know what was going to happen today. I didn't know you were going to ask me about my dogs. I didn't know you were going to talk about other bits and pieces that are going on. Like We don't check in during the week and go... No. Here it is, mate. Here's the agenda. Let's go for it. But I can sit pretty well with that. I might have moments at times where I'm like, I better listen really well here because I've got to pick something up so I know where to go next. But just sit with it. And how do you get people to start to create stories in their two-draw good news filing cabinet about not knowing versus being straight away taken to the dark side of now I'm going to look like I'm a dickhead. I'm not intelligent, 
I'm not up with the latest news. And that's why yeah. people jump on. And I do, mate. I'm bad with this. I'll jump onto the bloody news every morning just to look at it. And part of the reason is because I want to know what's going on. What if I didn't mm. look at the news for a week? Yeah. You make really good points. And that's a really good question. And, you know, the truth is how do you get people to? You don't get people to. Like no. you're a coach. You're not a solution. You're, you're a resource. I'm not a solution. I've never changed one life. Well, that's not true. I changed my life. I've done good things for other people. I've influenced other people. I've helped other people. But ultimately, you know, and we've said this before. So you and I, every Saturday morning at 0800, we get here and we talk for an hour or so. Uh, some of it's gold. Some of it's dog shit. That's okay. People can filter through it. They can fast forward. They can, they can come back next time, whatever, right? Let's say that someone's listening to this right now and, and they hear three things over an hour that really resonate, that are really worth exploring or opening the door on or maybe even taking some action on. Now, let's say that someone listens to this and they do take action and as a result, they learn stuff, they grow, they develop new skill and appreciation and understanding and awareness that they wouldn't have had had they not taken action on this construct that you and I discussed? Well, all we did was hand them a key and what they did was they went and turned it, yeah, let's call their, their potential a car, they jumped in the car, they put the key in, they turned the key and they started driving. So the beauty of all of this stuff is we're going to get together on Saturdays and throw around thoughts and ideas. Some of it, like I said, will be valuable, some not. And people will do with it what they're going to do. I think coaches and teachers and mentors and, you know, sometimes we put ourselves under pressure we don't need to. I used to say to my clients, and this sounds like a cop-out, if you don't get in shape, it won't be my fault. That was when I was a trainer. Yeah. And they would look at me like, what? And I'd say, okay, here's the drill. So there's 168 hours in a week and you're going to see me for three, maybe two. Let's go with three. So that means you're not seeing me 165 hours a week. Now, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to be eating shit or drinking booze or doing stupid stuff in the three hours that you're with me. I'm pretty sure that in the three hours that you're with me, we're going to talk, we're going to be positive, we're going to train, we're going to do the best thing for your body. I'm going to educate you. I'm going to coach and uh, hopefully provide structure and accountability and process, but you're going to walk away from this hour with me and every hour with me with the opportunity to do stuff which aligns with your goals and purpose or not. Now, I can't get out of bed for you. I can't eat for you. I can't make choices for you. I can't have self-control or discipline or awareness for you. I can't change you. Yep. I can only influence you. So don't fucking blame me because you go to McDonald's, right? Don't blame me because you're not getting out of bed and doing the work that you said you would do each morning. And I mean this in a loving way because, by the way, I really fucking care about you and yep. I really want you to get results. But I am not your cheer squad. I'm not your dad. This is not a fucking feel-good society. Like, do you really want to tap into your potential? Do you really want to change your thinking, habits, behaviours, outcome, life, body? Do you really fucking want that and will you do the work or do you just like the idea of it and you want to tell people, oh, I train with Craig Harper? 
Because yep. if that's all you want, I'm out. But yep. if you want to come with me, go on a journey and do a deep dive and roll up your sleeves and train like a fucker and then change yourself so that you don't need me in six months, that's where we're at, you know. I don't even know where that question started, but I just think that we live in a time now where, and understandably, we need to tippy-toe around a lot of stuff and there is some dark and deep and bad shit going on on planet us and we need to navigate and negotiate and be a source hopefully of inspiration and support and empathy for people, of course. But there still comes a time, no matter how good or bad your situation, where it still comes down to the individual's ability to execute. Yeah. I've got to do the work. You've got to do the work. Yeah, good to have a cheer squad, good to have structure, support, knowledge, skills, resources. All of that is great. However, get the fuck out of bed and go for a run. (laughs) When you said, I don't know where this is going, that's when I'm like, good, because this is sort of what we're talking about. We don't know where this is going to lead to. And one of the ways that you can start to know more and this might sound a little bit over the top and profound, is that we should look at our life and a whole lot of other things that are happening as an experiment. And I asked you this question way back when you first came on my podcast, you know, what sort of experiments are you running? And I I wanted to have a convo about this now that, and I haven't always been this way, Harps, I now look at my life as an experiment. And there are things that I don't know and there are things that I'm trying to seek to understand and, and I don't think I'll ever get to the answer. But the way to do that is to run with an experimental mindset, education and then experimentation, learning, listening to people. Like people are listening to this. I pick up one thing today from this 60 minutes. I'm now going to go and run a little experiment to see what happens there. Human beings need to, I think, take more of an experimental mindset than a, this is what it is and this is my belief and this is where I'm staying and be more curious. When I spoke to you last time about this, you said you were experimenting a little bit with, and I don't know, it was some fancy word, but it was about your age and ageing and your bio age versus your real age and what are you experimenting with about Craig Harper right now? Like this podcast's an experiment. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I love doing different things. And as I said before, you and I connected, you interviewed me. I went, good dude, I've got an idea. Contacted you. I said, how about this? I come on your show six weeks in a row. That means, and we'll co-share, you get an extra podcast a week. And it's one less that I have to produce on my end. I'm being a bit lazy, but I do seven a week. That would make my life easier. Hopefully it adds value to you and your listeners. Hopefully hopefully it's win-win, right? It could have been a catastrophe. It could have been mind-blowing. It could have been anywhere on the scale in between. I, I think it's good. I, I'm enjoying it, you know, and I would do another one again, right? But that was an idea that we go, well, fuck, I don't know what the outcome is, will be, but why don't I, does it, okay, does the initial idea make sense? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll ask Mark. Mark's like, yep. I think that's a good idea. I'm like, well, that's two of us. (laughs) So let's give it a crack. How will we do it? Let's create a plan. Let's execute it. Let's see what happens. So that's an experiment. And let me just preface what I'm about to say with, I think it depends on the individual. 
if someone listening to this right now is for the most part happy, satisfied, content, and they have an operating system for their life which gives them joy and like what they're doing and the way they're doing it is fulfilling and rewarding, then I would suggest do not fucking change. Yeah. Don't listen to us. Keep doing what you're doing. But I would also say, well done, you're in a small minority. Most people that I talk to have somewhere between one and 100 things that they want to change about their existence. And then there's another whole conversation to be had around why that is. What's the driver for that? But for me, my life is an ongoing series of experiments in that I'm trying stuff and seeing how it works out. I'm trying a PhD. Well, I'm two years into that experiment. I'm doing a workshop called Becoming Ungiveupable. But, you know, like I've never run that workshop and that's online. And when COVID happened, like many other businesses, we had to figure out how to execute the same or similar products or programs online and how that would work. And that's been an ongoing experiment and figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And some things work great. So you look at the data, you look at the outcome and you go, okay, so this seems to work well, this not so well. And it works well from a how many bums on seats did we get? How much money did we make? How, how well did it resonate with people? What was the feedback like? So it's not just a couple of variables we look at. It's a lot. You know, in fact, when we first went into lockdown, I was doing my face-to-face coaching with groups of 30. So I had an office up the road, lecture theatre, all that stuff. And then, and I've said this before, but then we started with the online. I was really not confident. Melissa, who runs my life because she's 25, literally 25 years younger than me, she knew it would work. I didn't because I'm old. What the fuck do I know about technology And she's like, no, I think people will come and blah, 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 and it'll be, you know, so we ended up running the first mentoring group, not with 30 people, with 310 or 20 from 12 countries around the world. I'm like, okay, so this is a thing. But again, that was trial and error. And also, yes, that worked on a level, but even doing that, there were things that I went, I know how to make this better. So I'm learning and adapting. And it's, I think it's just that ongoing process and not everyone is built for this but I think at the very if we want to break it down to its simplest even rather than saying an ongoing series of experiments in your life but just trying new stuff yeah try something new see what happens a couple of things there the the person you talked about or the very the small minority group you talked about that let's say had their shit together a bit and you know they were pretty happy and not much had to change when you said that I, I was sort of triggered with Maybe they're the people that have been experimenting along the way. So they've got to a certain point because, and they they might have tried things rather than the experiment. They've tried a lot of stuff along the way and they've got to a certain point. And then at the other end of the scale, there's those who are just in so much fear of failure that they just don't try anything. So they're like, fucking, I'm going to be a little scaredy cat in the corner and not do anything. But I think that regardless of whether you think you got your shit together or you're at the other end of the scale, there's still room to try stuff. Um, so I think about a big experiment for me was was asking myself a question, having been what I think more of an arsehole of a manager than a good one, was what would happen if I treated people like human beings in the workplace? And that's been now a 12-year experiment. It used to be when I was in the workplace. Now it's helping other people to, to do it. Zoom last year, I was petrified when COVID came, because it's like, I've only ever been on this thing two or three times. And 
I actually don't even know how to set it up. I don't don't even know how to set up a and anything. And and I've got your my Melissa is Shay, and Shay does a great job of getting all yeah. of that stuff yeah. sorted out. Today, I actually quite enjoy virtual. And I, I look at a model now that I say that I would never have even thought to try 15 months ago, maybe going 70, 30 virtual versus in the room. It's, it's totally shifted the way that I think. And I am embarrassed to say, had it not been for what we're going through, I probably wouldn't be doing it. Nor would I. Despite the fact that Melissa's been badgering me for years. And not only that, it's it's like I can have somebody in Sandringham, which is five kilometres from where I am, th- three kilometres from where I am, or I can have someone in Helsinki yep. or someone in New York. I'm currently consulting for Hewlett-Packard and I'm doing a, a range of gigs for them and it's every gig that I do is around 40 countries. Yeah. And I'm doing that from this room. And I'm literally sitting in a black T-shirt in a studio in Hampton in shorts and bare feet talking about the shit that I love with humans and getting paid. I'm like, this is, I feel like I'm cheating. I love what you said then, Harps, about I wouldn't have done this. Like I had a, I had someone and she's love, she's a Julie Tickle, her name is, she heads up people and culture for New South Wales TAFE, a client of mine. And she, um, she'd been at me for like two or three years, mate, you need to get into the virtual world. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it was, a, it was fear. It was absolute fear of the unknown. And she would call me tech boy. Come on, tech boy. It's about time. That's hilarious. And she's the one that in the end, she said, we're supposed to do an in the room thing. I now want you to, I'm not even going to say we're suggesting it to you now, Mark. This is how we are going to work with you. And um, I remember the first one, Harps, and after the first two hours with the group, I actually apologised to them. I said, I'm shit ass at this. Yeah. Well, good for you, though. And the story was there. And, and they went, no, you're not. You've actually done well. But let me tell you now, I actually think I'm pretty damn good at it eight, ten months down the track because yeah. I'm, I'm different. I'm looking for things on the screen. I'm sure you do. I watch for facial expressions a lot more than I used to. I'm experimenting with using silence in there as well and trying that and see what happens. And people go, oh, is your screen frozen, Mark? Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I'm just practising silence. It's things that I would never have done. And and here's the other end of it, mate. I'm now working with a a great Melbourne-based company called The Learning Hook who they're creating self-paced virtual online bringing my Frankie the robot to life in an online thing. Now, I would never have done that 15 months ago because I thought I was the guy in the room and that's what I did and I did it well. But you know what? Out of that, what I love is, okay, so you did something, you thought you weren't great first time around, everyone thought you did fine. But it's funny how we tend to avoid things that we think we're going to be bad at or suck at because... I'm generalising here, maybe not you, but because, one, we think we're going to look stupid, Uh, two, we think we're going to do a bad job, three, we think we're going to be judged, four, we think we're going to be embarrassed, whole range of things, right? But what if we reframe it and go, yeah, all right, well, I'm not good at this, but imagine if I was fucking great at it. How many doors would that open? And no, I'm not good at it, but what that means is there's vast scope for learning and improvement and growth, whereas with the other things, I don't have that same scope. 
Like me as a speaker on a stage, I've been doing it since I was 26. That's 31 years. I'm not saying I can't get better. I can. But I've already got 31 years of experience versus doing something on Zoom. I've got six and a half minutes, right? So clearly there's much greater scope. I've been a fan of Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a while and I had to delay. I was getting underway a couple of weeks ago, but I fucked my back. But I'm going to start one-on-one jiu-jitsu with a mate of mine who is one of the best practitioners in Australia. He's black belt, not many black belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu like the JIT. But anyway, I know that I'm going to be fucking rubbish, Yep. right? I'm like, awesome. And I'm training with someone who's elite, for me, that is the perfect learning environment. I, I don't want to be awesome at it. I want to be shit at it because I want to learn and evolve and adapt. And, and you would go, oh, like I could come up with 26 reasons why me and this 57-year-old body should not fucking rock up to that dojo and roll around with a six-foot-four black belt and get strangled. I could give you a bunch of logical reasons, but for me, there's also so many reasons to do it. There's so many reasons to go. And by the way, I always talk about being a white belt. Now we're literally talking about being a white belt. This is how we rise through the ranks. This is how we build confidence, skill, awareness, power, effectiveness, efficiency, be it in a jiu-jitsu dojo, be it at a workplace, be it in a relationship, be it with another sporting pursuit. This is how growth works. You start being shit like... The, the starting point for any skill is I am shit at this because I've never done it. Welcome to the club. Get over your ego. Get over your fear. Stop fucking finding reasons to avoid it. Do you actually want to grow and learn and evolve or do you just want to keep talking about it like 98% of the population? If so, fuck off. I don't want to talk to you. If you want to grow, then listen up. I was having a chuckle when you told that story because I was listening to you with those two young English lads and they were talking about how, you know, he, he said to stop doing his martial arts, but his mate comes around and he belts the shit out of him. And But he said, no, but I'm growing from that. But he goes, you know what, I'm better than you, but then I go off to another bloke who's better than me and he belts the shit out of me, but I keep growing from that. The second thing is this. I want the listeners to get out of their bad news filing cabinet right now and think for the last 15 months. And I know this won't be everyone because I know some people that are really struggling to see the good side, but applaud yourself, people, for something that you were shit at 15 months ago that you're better at now or good at now or great at now because I don't think we spend enough time in this space, Harps, to go look at the growth, look at how I have adapted and come on in this period of time where I would never, as you said, I would never, you would never have gone online. I would never have gone online. I think human beings need to start to reflect on the good that they've done, whether it's for themselves, their families, their workmates, their communities, their country, rather than sitting here and going, I was forced into this. Well, you made a good point before. You can make a choice then. You might be forced into it, but you can make a choice to roll up in a ball in the corner of the room, sucking your thumb in the fetal position, or you can make a choice of stepping into discomfort and not knowing and ambiguity and, and growing. And then I think about adaptation, mate, just very quickly. As a species adapts and it happens over time, three things can happen. 
to its DNA in order for it to continue to survive and to thrive and to grow. It either it keeps some DNA that's going to serve it well into the future, it adds some things that are going to make it better, and it discards something that is no longer useful. Mm. Now, just to finish off here, the hardest one, when I ask people what's the hardest one do you think there, and they're like, well, I'm not quite sure, Mark, because I think you know the answer, and I'm like, well, tell me. <laughs> and then we have a bit of awkward silence, it is the last one. What am I prepared to discard or let go of that has served me well to get to where I am today but will no longer serve me or my family or my work or my community or my country to make the progress that we can make? And I'm interested in your thoughts around, again, the difficulty of adapting, even though we're an adaptive species and we've adapted really well through this last 16 months, why do people still find it hard to let go of things that are no longer useful for them? Well, because it's subconsciously embedded in our, our brain, you know, like we are very much creatures of habit. As you said before, 60,000, 70, whatever it is, thoughts a day, most of those thoughts that we had you know what I just realised? I'm an idiot. I didn't plug in my microphone. I've been talking through the computer mic, not my grown-up proper mic. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm an idiot. And I also forgot to plug in my 5G. So, everyone, I apologise if the audio wasn't as good as normal or the internet broke up. That is my fault. The answer to your question, mate, I think is that we we tend to do things that don't work because they're hardwired, you know, yep. and it's been subconsciously programmed. Like, and whether or not that's being self-deprecating or whether or not that's eating food that's not good for me because I've been doing that for 25 years and I'm kind of addicted to that or, you know, whether it's toxic relationships and unhealthy dialogue because we don't consciously, I don't get up today and go, I'm going to have a shit attitude or I don't get up today and I'm say, I'm going to be adversarial with people in business meetings, but that's the way that I am, right? Not yep. me, but... Or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to let people walk all over me because I'm a people pleaser. No one gets up and makes that decision. But over time, we've kind of become that or yep. a version of that. What you're doing, and maybe this is next week, but is opening the door on, yeah, like this is starting to become aware of how I am and how I work in the world, how I let people treat me, how I treat others, how I treat myself. And my stories, the only person who lives in Craig Harper's stories is Craig Harper. The only yep. person who lives in my total subjective reality is me. And here's one thing that I do okay is that I'm always aware that my version of reality right now, what I think is going on in this room, what I think is going on in this podcast, what I think is going on in this business meeting, what I think is going on in this relationship is only my story. Yep. That's just my version. And I'm realising that Mark on the other side of this and the listeners as the audience are not having my experience right now. And so as soon as you start to live with an awareness of a reality bigger than your own, then you start to step into consciousness and awareness on a bigger level than you currently have. What a place to go to next week. Hey, Harps, we started with dogs today. Yes. And we finished with this 
stuff around consciousness and, and I think we can head there next week. But, mate, thanks again. I've enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, again, listeners, if you pick up one thing, go and run with it, have a go at it, and I'm going to use your famous three words here, Harps, do the work. Thanks, uh, Harps, for coming on again, mate. Pleasure, everyone. Love your collective gutters, both podcasts. I love all the fuck of you, not even just mine, even <laughs> Mark's listeners too. And by the way, to mine, go and subscribe to Mark. Go to this Simply, what's it called, Practically? Simply Practically Human, human. Podcast. I should know it. It's it's Nah, it's, it's okay, not, mate. It's not Simply Practically Human Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Harps. Always find that Harps comes up with some sort of absolute ripping, profound statement as we go through. And today for me was life is uncertainty. So if we think that everything's going to be certain and that it's going to turn out exactly how we think or every day is going to be Groundhog Day, that we're going to be sorely disappointed. So as he said today, like, you know, if the sky's blue and you don't like that and you want it to be something else, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way things are. Digging into rightness, some really interesting things. You know, um, Harps talks about how he came. He grew up in a in a very very religious environment, a religious family, Catholic family, and um, and that doesn't mean that that's right. It just means that was the environment that he grew up in. And I loved his ideas today to say that you know it's okay that. Others may have different beliefs, and I said to him today, I grew up in a very, very different family that really was more attuned to atheism. And that doesn't mean that I'm right, and that doesn't mean that Harps is right. It just means that we grew up differently, and it also doesn't mean that we can't like each other and have conversations and and grow from learning each other's perspectives and I think the world could do with a lot more of that at the moment because there's such seems to be such polarization that you're either in the club because we need to belong or you're not in the club and if you're not in the club you can be hated on which I think is uh, is a very very sad place that we've found ourselves in as a a world at the moment stepping back diagnosing observing and interpreting things before we go straight to the solution or the intervention was something else that that I shared today, which I think is a really important one. Where does identity come into the picture here? And I love their conversation around humans trying different things, as Harps called it, or I called it humans as experiments. And I really want you to think about it. And as he said today, if it's one thing you take or two things you take or three things you take from from two blokes in beanies just shooting the shit for an hour, just take that away and do something with it. You don't have to believe everything we say. You don't have to agree with everything that we say. But if there's something in there that maybe you agree with, what are you going to do with it? If there's something there that you don't agree with, what are you going to do with it as well? Because that's all about growth. We've got one episode to go. We talked a bit today about how we uh, how we get through next week and the little breakup that's going to happen. And I'm sure somewhere down the track we'll get into more of these. But it's been a lot of fun. I hope you get uh, plenty out of today. And if you do, and if you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, please share it widely with your friends. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now. <laughs>